I want to talk to you about connections. There's been so much talk about distancing. And I want to talk to you about God's presence. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And I want to teach you something that I think will really help us in these remaining months of this year. It's a values clarification of what really is important and what matters most. But I think something is embedded in an amazing Psalm 27. I, I felt like we should start with this Psalm. And I've run to this Psalm many times, as I'm sure you have. It's a Psalm of fearless trust in God. It's one of those Psalms of David where he's in a real battle. And the wording is just so rich when you're going through struggles and trouble. He makes great exclamations and draws great conclusions at the beginning. But it, there's something in about the third of the way into the psalm that is really kind of startling and almost different from every other part of the psalm. And that's actually the part I want to bring to you. But let's just start with what I have often started with when I'm in trouble or I'm down or I'm dealing with some depression or I'm not feeling like things are going the way I thought they would or I've heard some bad stuff or feeling issues. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, hey, you know what? My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. These are fighting words, aren't they? Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, what? I shall be confident. Say it. I shall be confident. So right in the middle of these assertions, all of a sudden he shifts from talking about how he's not going to be in fear, he's going to overcome, his enemies are going to fall, he's going to win, he's confident, but then he shifts into the reason for it. And this is what I want you guys to settle in on. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek. No, not the life of his enemies, not overcoming anxiety, not getting happy, but that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now that's a powerful verse for one thing, and I like it when it starts out with one thing, one thing I've desired, and that I shall seek. It's more important than our spiritual battle per se. It's more important than being a warrior. It's more important than even being a builder. The most important component of what David was saying is having a heart after God. That's what God said in the summary of all of David's life. He said, uh, David is a man after my own heart who would do all of my will. Yeah. And that summarized all of his failures and all of his successes. And then it says that David, after he served the purposes of God in his generation, fell asleep. So we have the advantage of looking at David's litany of work and his body of writing, you know, most of the Psalms, you know, a lot of amazing things in 1 Samuel and different, you know, 1 Chronicles and things like that. And that, in fact, Jesus is seated in the th throne of David. He's the son of David. We have, a, we have a lot of appreciation toward David. But the thing God really summarized was similar to what David summarized. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. And, in fact, he modeled that. And when he died, and Solomon had to take on responsibility there was enough of a good impression in Solomon's life. Now, later on, Solomon really messed up, mainly because he took on like 600 wives and they had different religions and, and the different religions caused a lot of mix-up, a lot of spiritual darkness. 
but this was when Solomon was in the momentum and had been influenced and impacted properly by his father. And when he was given all this responsibility, he prayed, God, I pray you give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people properly because he had actually seen it modeled in his dad. And God spoke to him and said, hey, because you didn't ask for the life of your enemies or a bunch of stuff or a bunch of power, or a bunch of success and a bunch of achievement, but you asked for wisdom and knowledge, I'm gonna give you wisdom and knowledge and I'm gonna give you the life of your enemies and a bunch of stuff and a bunch of blessing and, and because of the right priority. Everybody say priority. So here we are. And we've been told, I mean, we didn't get to have Easter in our usual flow. But our Easter experience of 2020 is more like the early church Easter than probably any time I've ever had in my life. Because they were isolated in their homes and they were afraid to go out for fear that they or their families could be hurt. So it's very similar. You know, you ever hear these stories? Uh, you're gonna, you know, the genie in the bottle and you have three wishes. You know, all that. Remember those stories? Those, those uh, myths and, and legends and stories? You know, and people get real greedy about it. But anyway, you know, he, he goes, one thing I've desired of the Lord and that I shall see, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Everybody say close fellowship. Now we read about people like David, who had a man, was a man after God's own heart. Caleb, who had a different spirit in him, who sought the Lord his God fully. Moses, God said he spoke to him mouth to mouth. And Abraham was called the friend of God. And now even in the New Testament, if we'll follow God and obey his commandments, he calls us friends. Greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And he said, you're my friends if you keep my commandments. So we want to find out what, is, what he's commanding, what he's insisting upon us. And this is the one thing I want to bring to you tonight. And that is the same thing David said. Dwell in the house of the Lord. Close fellowship. Everybody say close fellowship. Now, let's go to John, John chapter 15. This is one of the premier portions in the Bible that underscores what David just said. And this is actually the secret to a fruitful life. This is the secret. There's a book by D.L. Moody. In fact, Suzanne gave it to me. The Secret of D.L. Moody's Life. And what it was was this very thing, fellowship with God. Thank you for giving me that book. When I saw it, I thought, oh boy, the great evangelist, the, the Billy Graham of the 1800s, she curated this book and you know, got it out of obscurity off the internet, you know, and it was an old out-of-print book. And oh man, I, and it was old and it was cool. And, and I opened it up and it was, he fellowshiped with God. He fellowshiped with God. And then Billy Graham, he said, the two things I wish I did more in my Christian life was pray and stay in the word. Yeah. So that, again, is reinforcing of the one thing that's the big deal of all of this is, hey, I want to start my day praising God, devote, pray. This is a year of dedication. And I'll tell you, I feel personally like I've had opportunity to be revived along these lines. And, and like all of us, we can get busy. Ministers can get so caught up in ministry for the Lord that they forget the Lord of the ministry. That can happen. You can read in the book of Romans where they, for a period of time, got caught up in secondary issues. Even the church at Ephesus, 
which was a tremendously impactful church. They didn't put up with false apostles. They persevered. They were rich with good works. They, were, they, had, they had a lot on the ball. But he said, this one thing I have against you, you've fallen from your first love. It wasn't shaming them. It was like, hey, get the why back on why you do it. You know, successful companies I've been watching where they go from good to great, this is the key. They sometimes lose their way on why they got into it in the first place. And when they get the answer to why, then everything emanates out of that and it improves the morale, it improves the decision-making, it improves the culture. And in fact, Mercy Hospital was started by a, uh, a nun uh, Irish nun in, in her order and her goal as a Catholic nun was to bring healing to the sick. And if you ever, how many of you have ever visited what used to be St. John's, now Mercy Hospital, and in their newly uh, recently renovated uh, lobby, what do they have up on the wall? Great scriptures, great scriptures. And even in their outposts, like the one up here on Clarkson and Clayton, as I've gone in there for some tests and things, they have those scriptures on the wall, and then they have that dear lady. And now get this. Scott Richard is um, in the IT department on a high level, has a lot of responsibility. And they actually, they, the heads of that company, in order to get back to the why, packed up their key staff and at their own expense, got them in airplanes, flew them over, put them up in hotels, fed them meals, so they could get right back to where it all started and the why of why that lady wanted to bring healing because she was endeavoring in her culture of her Catholicism to bring the gospel, to bring healing to people through medical means. And what I was told by the higher-ups is it brought a tremendous remembrance back to first love, to the reason why. Why are we in this? You know, why do we do this? So David, you know, was in the middle of going... You know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Oh, host and camp against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. But one thing I have desired of the Lord, all that's good, but that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord. You know how beautiful he is? He is beautiful, he is holy, he's pure beyond description. He's holy beyond description. He's powerful beyond description. He's wise beyond description. And, and what David said, I wanna find that out. I wanna get to know the whole heart of this thing. What got us into this in the first place? The Holy Spirit began to convict us of sin, but not just of sin and a shame-based thing, immediately then of righteousness that's available. I love that. You know, that's why I'm not a hellfire brimstone preacher. I'm a preacher of righteousness. It includes repentance, and it includes conviction, and it includes correction, but its main emphasis is that righteousness has been made available. Its main emphasis is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It, the, the main emphasis is, he came to seek and save that which is lost. And if you want to hear it even more profound, John chapter 3, verse 17 said he didn't come into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So I feel that it's a correct balance to primarily emphasize 
that he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I think righteousness consciousness will keep us out of sin consciousness. It doesn't cause us to be sloppy with our faith. It doesn't cause us to just tolerate a bunch of things for ourselves. In fact, it, it causes us to be so aware of who we are in Christ and what great price he paid so we could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives that it actually causes us to be quick to repent and quick to ask forgiveness. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, but it says, but keep standing firm and don't, don't let your liberty be a cloak for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. We had a beautiful uh, pastor, Marie-Hélène Moulin, who came in from Nice, France. She's one of these great, mighty, she's been a friend of ours since 1985. And pastors a great church in, in Nice, France. That's where Matisse lived. I think uh, Elton John has a house there. Bono and uh, Ed, The Edge have houses there. And uh, it's, it's like it's the Riviera, you know. But she's bringing something better than the, the azure blue sky and ocean, better than the delicious food, better than the culture. She's bringing the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And when she came here, she preached. And in her deep, strong French accent, she said, this is not a shame-based movement. And boy, I thought, that is profound. This is a, where the Spirit of the Lord is, liberty, liberating thing. You're free to be a servant of the Most High God. And if people go, oh, you're all bound up, you become a Christian, your parents impose this on you, and you don't get to do this, and you don't get to the, I'm free to not have to do that. I'm free to not have to do that anymore. I'm, I, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. And it's amazing, if you think about it, that we've been set free. If you read Romans chapter 6 and spend a lot of time in Romans, how shall we continue in sin? That, shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? He said, may it never be. How shall we who are dead to sin live in it any longer? He that's dead is freed from sin. Now that means, it doesn't mean we don't have the option. It doesn't mean we're now all of a sudden detached from our physical body and all of its uh, silly imp impulses. It just means God has done such a work in our lives that uh, that new birth has caused our spirit to gain the ascendancy and we actually have the potential to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the dictates of the flesh. And to actually spend a lot of time building ourselves up on this Primarily, however, in the context of this one thing I've desired, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and develop a ripping, deep, sincere, consistent, personal walk of intimate fellowship with God every day. That's the best part of our Christianity, you guys. And listen, I'm pastoring a church that has quite an emphasis on mission. We're missional quite an emphasis on relief because God's instructed us to do that, to reach people with practicality, to take Jesus in work clothes and tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and wars and that kind of thing. We're very project-oriented. We're very event-oriented. But all of it emanates, all of it emanates from this one thing, and that is cultivating, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I want to walk with you. And I want to have a, you know, I got married 42 years ago. I got so attracted to Patsy, and I still am. And we've gone through many transitions and issues through our marriage. 
it took time for us to adapt to one another because we were very different from each other. Our upbringings were a bit different, and we didn't have a lot of help. And when we got married in the late 70s, um, there wasn't, unfortunately, there wasn't a good culture in church environment to prepare us for marriage. And our parents weren't really present to do that, so we just kind of had to tough it out. But we, we were attracted to each other. I was way before she was, but anyway. Um, and then we butted heads, and we had some struggles, and then we started cranking out kids, and then we, we were working so many hours a week. And, and, and then, um, you know, we were just busy, and life just was bearing down on us, and we looked at each other like, we've got to keep cultivating this. We've got to keep the original fire alive. Does that make sense? So we did practical things. We started going on a date, but we were so evangelistic that we just preached to everybody, the waitress, the, the maitre d', the chef, yeah, everybody we could talk to all the way, you know, we, and we, we just, and so then it became a spiritual date. And then, so then we did a date date. We did a spiritual date because it was inevitable we're gonna wanna go soul winning and share the gospel and talk to people. And then we did a date date. So we, we had a couple of dates, and we were pretty diligent about date night. And I would parallel that to going to church uh, because we would go on a date, and it would just we'd, we'd have the exclusive connection. We'd have a meal together. We'd sit across the table. We wouldn't have, this was, you know, before the cell phones became so distracting. We wouldn't get a newspaper or a magazine. We'd look around, and we'd say, who's, not, who's married and who's dating? The people that are dating are talking to each other and they're looking each other in the eye. The married people are like reading their paper. One guy was reading his paper while the lady was just sitting there with her shoulders rounded, just wondering why he wasn't paying any attention to her. I don't want the Lord to look at us and go, hey guys, let me know when you'd like to spend some time with me. He, you know, he's not needy, by the way. God isn't needy. He's not needy at all, but he is available to have great fellowship with. Lift up your hands just for a minute and say, I bring that on in my life, Lord. This is priority number one to me. I'm dedicating myself for the purposes of God, for the big deal of my relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Christians, we are at our best when we maintain deep, focused, ongoing, intentional fellowship with God. I'll repeat it. As Christians, we are at our best, at our very best, when we maintain deep, focused, ongoing, intentional fellowship with God. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean or, or pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. A lot of people worry about that, but the word will keep you clipped. The word will deal with you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. This is precisely why I'm preaching this message, because the devil knows this, he who once had fellowship with God as Lucifer fell from heaven like lightning and, and he has nothing in relationship to Jesus. They're completely estranged and alienated. And he wants to, misery demands company. 
He wants to disrupt your fellowship with God and mine probably more than any other element of our Christian experience. And this is what we have to fight for more than any social issue, more than any personal problem. And even why David said, Lord, are they increased that trouble me, he said in Psalm 3. Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of my soul, there is no help for him and God. And then he goes into fellowship. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and I slept. He, he, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have encamped themselves against me round about. Why? Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Fellowship with God develops a life of its own. It brings confidence. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he'll also bring it to pass. But what is the it? What is the why? When Scott Richard had to fly to Ireland to go hear the famous story about the beginning of why the nuns wanted to have a hospital to care for people and minister to people because of the, the healing ministry of Jesus that they read in their dogma, and it's from the Bible, they had to go back to square one. And when they came back revived, they came back strengthened. And it, it will assure that that company will keep its heart emphasis and it won't just lapse into cold formalism. It won't just lapse into how much uh, 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 medical in, insurance money can we amass? How many procedures can we whip up so we could keep the revenue streams surging? And you know, that wasn't about that. It was no, they didn't, that none didn't even consider any of that stuff. Those systems didn't even exist at that point. What she read was Jesus ministered healing to the sick and she wanted to be part of that, right? What got you saved? Why are you here? Why are we doing this? The why of it is so we can stay tethered to and close to him and abide in him. He said, I am the true vine, verse five, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is a life-saving truth, if you can get a hold of it. And that's why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, because they have enjoyed systems. Actually, God created the systems. Diligence, perseverance, ambition. The hand of the diligent shall rule. In all labor, there's profit. And in this kind of environment we have, where you can, you can do that and, and pull yourself out of a pit, and the self-made, self-actualized people say, hey, I, I don't agree. I've got so much accomplished. You know, the rich young ruler was kind of sitting high on the heap, but yet he needed to understand, apart from him, we could do nothing. Now, that's not a defeatist term. That's actually a liberating term, because then it shows us that he gives life and breath to all. Apart from him, we could do nothing is a tremendous assurance. That gets us, I therefore need to really stay close to God. Remember David, when he started really succeeding, that could mess people up. There are whole documentaries about people that won the lottery and it ruined their whole life because they were ill-prepared for the success. David entered into levels of achievement and uh, they were having a big victory parade in their town. And David, all he could think about, he wasn't thinking about the battles they won and you know how he's like the laurel wreath on his head and hey man, I'm, you know, thank you fan base. 
Um, all he, could th he wasn't thinking about being a king or being a prophet or being the priest or being in his position or his title. He just wanted to worship God. And the Bible says he was spinning around dancing and his toga came off and it embarrassed his wife. And it, that embarrassment at him just simply getting first things first caused her to become barren, which is pretty harsh. Like her judgment and her peer pressure thing she generated at him, well, she's actually misunderstanding. That's the reason why he won the battle. He knew it. That's the reason why he was succeeding. He knew it. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And he, he, in fact, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. I and my father are one. And he's letting the church know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's the husbandman or the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's going to trim your branches. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He's dealing with us. He's dealing with us as a church. He's dealing with the earth right now. And he's going to do a great work. He's doing a great work of refinement in the church. It starts with the church. And then it goes and cascades out elsewhere. But right now, we've got to take that trip to Ireland and go visit where the nun got on her knees and prayed about starting a hospital that ended up becoming one of the great hospital networks that is, in my view, as a pastor that visits hospitals, has a great culture. It hasn't lost its way. It's not cold and secular. You know, I'm not a Catholic, and I don't relate to all that theology, but I will tell you what I do appreciate. She, generally speaking, got stimulated by the healing ministry of Jesus and got motivated. And uh, I see in order to keep being motivated, they have to keep being stirred up by way of reminder. of. Uh, and this is a reminder message right now. This is awesome. He said, uh, if anyone abides in me, verse 6, does not abide in me, is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I've been detached. I've been a brown twig with parched, withered leaves too many times to count. And I know what it means to be fellowshipping with God. We know what it also means to be in intentional, close fellowship with God. Now look what it says here. Verse 7, this is, this is so wonderful. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this isn't a magic formula. There's no magic wand in the Bible. If there was, I'd pull it out and bonk everybody in the head that I saw. But this is a truth. This is such a, this is such a truth. If you abide in him and his word abides in you, you will ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you by my Father who's in heaven. In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is in the context, this is starting to talk about prayer. Because, in fact, the Psalms, for the most part, are prayer. He's declaring things about God. There's bold declaration prayer. You could see that in, in Elijah when he prayed that it wouldn't rain. Well, how, the only place you could read about where he, he prayed that it wouldn't rain was when he said, I am Elijah the Tishbite to Ahab the king, and it is not going to rain until I say so. And he walked off. So it was a bold declaration. He was speaking to the mountain. Prayer is, is bold declarations. Whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his or her heart, but believes those things that they say shall come to pass, they'll have whatever they say. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. This comes in the context of the awareness that the one thing I've desired of the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So every day I get up, I want to build off of that. And with my marriage, I want to build off of that. I want to let my wife know uh, she is valued. I want to let her know why I married her, because I love her. I want to let my kids know I married your mom, not just so I could become a dad and, and work, you know, 70 hours a week and be tired and, and sit and watch television and go to sleep on the couch. It was this sweet, hot relationship deal. Christianity is to be a sweet, hot relationship deal. This is how they're going to know we're his disciples, that we have love for one another. But it all comes from starting with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love him with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it starts in the heart, and it starts upward, vertically. And then it cascades out horizontally. And it goes up vertically. And that's what I love about church. And I believe, I'm a big believer in giant church. That's what God has birthed me in. I was a product of a big church in Southern California, Melody Land. Uh, pastor Ralph Wilkerson sent out people. And there was a pastor named Bob who is very responsive. Big bell bottoms, feathered hair, sideburns. Preached the gospel like he meant it on fire. Full of Jesus, full of love. They had songs that made sense. They had messages that were gripping. But the main thing was I could tell there was something real about them. They were in love with God. They talked in terms like they actually knew the Lord. And that blew my mind. I couldn't even relate to that. I had never up to that point run into anybody quite like that. They actually were talking about having a relationship with God through Jesus. And they were, they were modeling that. And it appealed to me. That's what I need. That's the missing ingredient. And to sustain it, guys, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, not for a little while, but all the days of my life. Dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 9 is the bell ringer right there. He loves us. We love him. We love each other. We even love our enemies. It's a love revolution. People are all trying to figure out what side to land on on all these issues. This is the most important issue to make sure you're on the right side of. Am I on the right side of history? Get on the right side with this. Am I on the right side of these issues? Get on the right side with this. And, and what, but yeah, but we got to be more specific, Pastor Jeff. I am being specific. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. All the things the Gentiles seek. All the things, all the details, all the layers, all the minutiae, all the issues, some important, some unimportant. It'll help you to filter right through it and end up living a satisfied life. You know, it says, apart from him, you can do nothing. But you know what it says in Philippians 4.13? 
It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? So it's completely biblically balanced to say on one hand, apart from him, I could do nothing. Say it. Apart from him, I could do nothing. But now immediately say, yet I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, now that's my incentive for sticking close to Jesus. And that's my uh, warning to not drift from him and detach from him and not let anything break my fellowship. Say, I get used the example of my relationship with my wife, or for that matter, my kids or friends or associates. I don't want to let anything divide these God-ordained relationships. So I want to be relationally responsible. I want to be emotionally mature. There are people in my life that have done things to me that frankly, they've never owned up to it. There's one guy who owned up one time to one thing, but for the most part has done some horrendous things and never took ownership on it. That's problematic. That's not a normal relationship. That's an imbalance that's crazy. And I'm looking going forward on the human level yeah, I'm sorry I said that. Yeah, hey, no problem, man, I forgive you. Instead of, I didn't, you know, just in denial about it all your life. There was a lady that flipped out on me over and over and over and over and over again. And the next day, never even took ownership on it. I talked to somebody else, she did it to her as well. And she said, yeah, she's never apologized, you know. Maybe once or twice out of a, a thousand times. That's, that kind of, <laughs> well, Pastor Jeff, why are you talking about this? God's looking for, he desires truth in the inner man. God wants us with him to be very direct and honest and open. He desires truth in the inner man. In fact, the very essence of our relationship with God is truth. John said, I have no greater joy than when I hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That's why if this guy had said to me, oh, I blew that. That was my fault. I take ownership on it. It would have made such an advancement on that relationship. You know what I'm talking about? I think that's the case with, with David that constituted him being a man after God's own heart is uh, different from King Saul. King Saul was a king. He was a Jewish leader. He was mighty. There's a lot of description about how great he was, but he would run away from God when he failed, whereas David categorically and consistently ran to God with successes and failures. So I don't know about you. I want to be a runner after God. And I want this one thing I've desired of the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up on our feet. I want to pray for you because this is 2020. It starts with dedication. And then there will be tremendous impartation. People that want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit will be. There will be a great stirring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, gift of faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, tongues and interpretation, discerning of spirits, and so forth. We are going to see these things escalate. We're going to become skilled at functioning in them. The heavy-handed people, by the way, that push their, don't push prophecies on people, please, I will correct you for it, because there's imbalance in prophecy. That's why the Thessalonians, despise, they, he said, don't despise prophecy. So I'm responsible as a leader. My personality would tend to just let it go, but I'm required now as we move into a move of the Holy Spirit, it's got to be done in decency and in order. 
So hallelujah for that. So we will see as we dedicate a great impartation. And with that impartation, we'll see a great refreshing. But the best thing we could do and dedicate to is not a thing, it's a person. And his name is J-E-S-U-S. And we dedicate ourselves to him. Now, if you're not a Christian, then your starter dedication would be to surrender to him, to yield to him, to ask him to become your Lord and Savior. That's called salvation. Today is the day of salvation, by the way. If you've been like, like we were in our marriage where we were kind of looking at each other in our minivan and hauling kids in and out and picking up Happy Meal boxes and trying to figure out how to pay our bills and just kind of, you know, being roommates, and you want to shift back into some deeper level of a divine romance with God, that's called rededication. There's dedication, there's rededication. And then if you've been through a pandemic, if you've been through an amazing social upheaval, if you've been through, you know, where nobody's saying the same thing, everybody's trying to figure it all out, and there's no correct information anywhere except the Bible, then we'll pray, we'll pray, I'm going to pray for all, how many of you fit either that category, I'm getting saved, I'm rededicating, or I'm in that category, how many, okay, so we're going to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we'll ask whatever we will and it will be done for us by our Father who's in heaven. We, are, we have embarked on a magnificent, fantastic, fascinating journey. We're all in this together. We were in, in, in this together when we were socially distanced and couldn't be together physically. Now it doesn't change one bit. It's nice that we're together physically, but we've always been together all along spiritually by virtue of the fact that Jesus is the head of the church and we're the body. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to join in and be immersed and baptized into his body. Come to know Jesus and ask him to become your savior and Lord. So let's just pray this out loud, all of us together and lead everybody to the throne of grace. I'm gonna pray for dedication, rededication and for all breakthroughs so all of us can have an amazing first love walk with God Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight is my night for breakthrough. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, I submit my life to him. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I receive renewal and new life starting tonight. Now, if you're here and you need to rededicate, Put your hands on your sternum. It is the year of laying on of hands. You can lay hands on yourself. I pray for a stirring afresh of the gift of God in each man and woman in this place. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice, our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. In the name of Jesus, say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I return to my first love. I'm on fire. I intend to walk the distance with Jesus in love with him. He loves me. I might as well love him back, which I do in a restart tonight. In Jesus' name. And now for all of us that have been through so much stuff, I come against confusion, hassles, weirdness, questions, 
And I pray the wisdom of God would fill every area and we would be led by the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't do stupid stuff. We wouldn't do impulsive stuff. We would be led by the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be led by irritation. We wouldn't be led by offense. We wouldn't be led by opinion. We wouldn't be led by peer pressure. Say this with me. I am led by the Holy Spirit. Starting right now. In Jesus' name. New beginnings. Seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.